Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Thursday, December 23rd, 2021, and this is show number 868. Well, I hope by hearing this on a Thursday, you will realize that there will be no live show this Sunday, the 26th of December. I'm sitting here all alone with nobody to talk to in the live show and recording for you. Instead, you got this early Christmas Kwanzaa present. Whatever you celebrate, or even if you don't, I hope you like this early present. Now, we took a vote during the live show last week and decided that enough people would be around on January 2nd to keep Steve and me company, so there will be a live show to ring in the new year. This week, we've got an Everything is Fiddly segment from Bart. Bodhi is back with a review of the service Descript and how it helped him study for a test. Then we've got Security Bits with Bart, followed by a holiday tradition, Steve's annual reading of his version of The Night Before Christmas. This poem is a hat tip from Steve to our dear departed no castaway Honda Bob, who contributed to the podcast over many years and inspired many of us. It's our way of closing out the holiday season before we celebrate the new year. Bart and I managed to squeeze in one last programming by stealth as a chit-chat across the pond for 2021. In this installment, Bart teaches us how to manage our documentation in JS Doc. As any good programmer, he insists on automating as much as he possibly can. He starts by showing us each step that we have to do at the command line, and then he methodically puts together a JSDoc configuration file that runs scripts and helps create documentation directories and installs plugins. Even better, he helps us to configure JSDoc so that it will alert us if we make a mistake in our inline and block tags, since JSDoc by default just ignores those little mistakes. Finally, we walk through three different themes for our documentation, and we actually choose one for the XKPassWD project we're all going to be working on together, and he shows us how we can even modify this theme. It all has to do with Bart preferring blue over purple. It's great fun, and it really gives us the tool we need now to get ready for our next step. You can follow along with Bart's fabulous tutorial show notes at pbs.bartofficer.net. And of course, you'll want to subscribe to Programming by Stealth or the full Chit Chat Across the Pond feed in your podcatcher of choice. Hey, everybody, Bodie here. I have a real quick tip for you. Recently, I had to go through a lot of documentation for my job. And a lot of this is very technical information, and it is not at all interesting. But despite my lack of interest in a lot of the subject matter, I still needed to, to know it, not even learn it. I needed to know it inside and out. The problem is, like many of you, I have a full-time job. I have a family. I have other responsibilities. I have a house that's you know aging and needs to be repaired and things like that. And I didn't have a lot of time to actually sit down and read. But despite my lack of time, I still needed to get through this material. One day, while I was avoiding looking through all of these documents, I came across a program called Descript. Now, if you're a podcaster or you're doing audiobooks or anything with spoken word, Descript is a really cool program because you can either record your podcast or audiobook, whatever you're doing, into Descript, or you can upload your audio and it gives you a transcription. Now, here's the really cool part of Descript is it gives you a transcription of everything that you said. You can assign speakers. So if there's more than one person in your podcast, you can assign them. And then you get this transcript, and as you delete things from the transcript, it deletes it from your audio file. So it's really cool that way. It also allows you to upload like your voice profile. So if you stumble, which I do a lot, if you stumble and you mispronounce a word, or maybe you say the wrong word instead of like if you wanted to say Ford and you accidentally said Fjord 
or whatever, you can you can erase your mistake and type in Ford and it uses your audio, your voice to replace it with the correct word Ford, which is really cool. It, it's magic. It doesn't always sound great, but it typically sounds really good. One of the cool things about Descript is they offer these canned voices. They call them speakers. So you can actually type something into Descript and this canned voice will actually read it back to you. It's pretty cool. They have several different choices of speakers. They have some male, some female. You're able to change the speaker's inflection so you can make them sound angry or happy or kind of like somber or calm. Um, it's a it's a really cool service. It's not perfect, but I didn't need it to be perfect because I had a plan. And that plan was to copy all of the documentation that I needed to go over in small segments into Descript and then use one of their canned voices to read it back to me. And then that way I could listen to it while I was doing something mundane at work or something mundane at home, which is <laughs> a large part of my day at work and at home. Um, or if I was driving to work, it takes me 45 minutes to an hour to drive to work, depending on traffic. That's time that I could be listening to this documentation so that I could be learning it and then eventually knowing it. And a real quick spoiler alert here is it paid off because I really got to know the information at a level that I don't think I would have gotten to if I was just reading it because I would have read it once or maybe twice, made some notes and then left it at that. So this was invaluable to me and what I was trying to accomplish. Now I have a few samples of the voices for you and I'm gonna go ahead and play those. But before I play them, I wanna let you know that the the voices are, are very, very canned. Some of them sound better for different uh, topics than other voices. Uh, they give them names like Henry and Clara and Malcolm and things like that. I found Henry to be the most, um, the, the one that worked best for me, although sometimes depending on what was being read, I had to change the voice to make it sound better to my ears. But after a while, you forget the, the terrible canned voice and you really get into the information. Your brain adapts. So let's listen to the first example. The following is an excerpt from The Beneficent Burglar by Charles Neville Buck. The agitated transit of Mr. Lewis Copewell through the anteroom of the Honorable Alexander Hamilton Burrow created a certain stir. With all the lawless magnificence of a comet that runs amok through the heavens, he burst upon the somewhat promiscuous assemblage already seated there. Real quick side jag, that book is in the public domain, so everything's legal. The first voice you heard was Malcolm, and he was the one that let you know that this was an excerpt from whatever book. The second voice was Clara, and you can kind of hear that she just kind of rushed through all of the, the text. You can make them slow down with periods and commas and things like that, but I just left it in so you get an idea. And the, the final voice was Henry's, which personally I thought sounded the best, but I'm a huge Henry fan, so I'm biased. Like everything in life, there's positives and negatives, and Descript has some great positives. It makes it very easy to create audio basically out of nothing, so that's really cool. But it also has some downsides. And I'm not gonna go through all of the downsides, but the biggest downside is that Descript tends to be a resource hog. And as you add more and more content with your speakers, um, it really slows down the program. I have a 2019 15 inch MacBook Pro and Descript can bring my computer down to a screeching halt sometimes. So 
This is one of those solutions where you're going to have to use some elbow grease to accomplish your goal. And it's not, it's not going to come without frustration. There is definite frustration in this, in this solution. However, when it works, it works really well. All right. I'm well over the time that I allotted myself to do this. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Before I go, I want to leave you with one more really fun Descript example. Chris Kringle here. I've been a fan of Allison's and Steve's since they were knee-high to a grasshopper. I just wanted to pop in and wish everyone a happy holiday season. What's that Mrs. Claus? Yes, I'd love a delicious Slatini. By the way, my voice sounds different because I have a cold and not because I'm a computer-generated voice. Did you notice there weren't any ads in this show? That's because the show isn't ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Potfeet Podcast. You can do that by going over to potfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. Okay, Bodie, that is an awesome way to finish up this article. And you know what? This is a really innovative use of the tools we have in our arsenal these days. I've been known to change long-form text into audio myself because I don't seem to have the patience to just sit and read anymore, but I do find time to listen. Bodie asked me to include some of the pricing information from Descript.com after his review. Descript has several different pricing options. You can get three hours of transcription per month with full audio and video editing, unlimited screen recordings, and studio sound effects for free. I knew about Descript, but I thought it was too expensive because I didn't know they had a free option. If you have more advanced needs, you can get the creator license for $12 a month for 10 hours of transcription and a watermark-free video export. There's the pro license for 30 hours per month along with lots more advanced options and even an enterprise license is available. There's one ironic thing about Bodhi's story. When he first recorded his Truephone story for last week, I imported his audio file to otter.ai to create a rough transcript. I then edited it within that tool, and then I made a blog post for Bodhi's story. Bodhi thought that was cool, so he actually used otter.ai himself to create the transcript of this article about Descript. The irony of this is that Descript has, as one of its main functions, the ability to create a transcript from an audio or video file. In any case, we have a transcript and a blog post for those who like to read rather than listen, and that's great. Thanks again for your support of the show, Bodhi. You rock. Hey, Bart here. You're not used to hearing me on this segment, but I got quite cranky this weekend when everything proved to be really quite fiddly indeed with HomeKit. So uh, why keep it to myself when I can share it with you guys? So I have this tradition that I don't put up the Christmas decorations until after I finish work for the year. And since I had some annual leave saved up, I finished work for the year on Friday evening, the 17th or something of December. So I put up the Christmas decorations after work, and then I figured Saturday morning I'll just quick add them to HomeKit so that I can turn them on and off quickly, you know, because I have a Christmas tree in one room and I have lights outside to make the neighbourhood look a bit brighter at the front door. So two smart plugs seem to be in order, and by pure coincidence, Alison had just plugged the uh, mirrorless plugs, excuse the pun. So I bought a pair, a power strip for the kitchen, and a two-pack of the little plugs for the hall and some other use I'll make up someday sometime. Anyway, I figured, 
take me a few seconds. I'll plug them in, I'll follow the instructions, and then I'll make a scene, more about the scenes later, to turn the lights on and turn the lights off, and that'll be grand. So I read the manual. I did read the manual, because I had this niggling suspicion that this whole home kit thing may not be as smooth as I would have liked me to believe. So I read the manual and Meros were very, 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 very clear that you absolutely had to make sure that your phone was on the 2.4 band and not on the 5 gigahertz band. So my Wi-Fi gives me two different names for the 5 gigahertz and the regular network. So I switched my phone from the 5 gigahertz to the regular and scanned the barcode, like it said, right? So go into the home app, click the plus button. So I went into the home app and I could see all of my own devices. It was my home app. This is important. I clicked the plus button. I scanned the barcode. It said... Connecting your device. I thought, this is actually going to work. And then it's span, and it's span, and it's span. And then I said, ooh, are you sure the device is connected to the power? And it's span, and it's span, and it's span, and it failed. Okay, fine. Take out, you know, read the manual again. Was it under troubleshooting? Very important, reboot iPhone. Okay, reboot iPhone then. Added it again, and this time... The blinky lights changed on the mirror. So it went from one blinking pattern to a different blinking pattern. Actually, it went to solid, not blinking at all. And best as I could tell from Miros's point of view, the pairing to HomeKit was successful. In the HomeKit app, on the other hand, they went, oh, something went wrong. Literally, just something went wrong. No, nothing more. No actually useful information that anyone could do anything with. Yeah, it didn't work. Okay. I'm sorry, we can't pair this device. It's already paired to a different HomeKit. Do a factory reset and try again. Okay, check the Meros manual. No mention of how to do a reset. Check the uh, Meros website. There's a thing you can scan on the Meros box if you need help, scan here. Great. So I scan it and it says, yeah, if you're into problems, do a factory reset. No mention of how, just that I should. This is from Meros. Went to the Googles. Lots and lots of videos from Meros saying how easy it was to set up their stuff. And again, mentions of a factory reset, and no actual instructions for how to do it. Okay, well, if all else fails, guess. Press and hold the power button for five seconds. Did something. Power strip rebooted. No idea if that counts as a factory reset, but it did something. Add it to home again. Fail. Actually, no, the same error. Plugged it out. Just turned off all the power. Rebooted my phone again, I think. Reducing track of how many things I tried. It was an hour and a half of being very cranky and sweary. Um, anyway, powered it, powered it all back up, started again, and this time I started inside the Miros app, and I did the HomeKit pairing from the Miros app instead of from HomeKit. And this time, it allowed me to name the various bits and pieces on the plug. So it, it's a four-way power strip, so it, it allows me to name the four individual power outlets and uh, the USB. There's a strip of four USBs in it as well that also can have a separate name. So there's a name for the thing as a whole, and then these subnames. So I named it after what was plugged into it. You know, white Christmas tree lights, colored Christmas tree lights. The Apple TV, for reasons of lack of space of plugs, is also on the mirror strip now. And then the rest was empty, so I just left them unnamed. And then I named the whole thing Mirror's Power Strip, and I hit save. And in the Mirror's app, it showed up as white Christmas lights. Not the name I gave the whole device. The name I gave one particular plug, and when I clicked into it, all the other ones said Outlet 1, Outlet 2, Outlet 3. Oh. Fine, whatever, silly book. Went into HomeKit, and for a second, like one second, it seized the device in my home, and then it vanished. Okay, fine, reboot everything again. Powered back up, and for the briefest of moments, I thought I had success. I opened up the Home app, and there was my Miros plug. 
it was all named wrong, but I quickly renamed it again. And I clicked into it and I could control each of the four power outlets on the USB separately. And as I pushed the buttons on the phone, I could hear the thunk thunk of the electrical relay and the Christmas tree lights come on and the Christmas tree lights went off. My God, this is actually working. So I stepped back out to my HomeKit home screen and realised something had gone terribly, horribly, catastrophically wrong. Everything else in my house was gone. The only thing in my house was this Beerus power strip. And it took me a little while to notice that the heading I had assumed to be a generic description, my home, was in fact not a generic description, but the name of a home that someone had created on my behalf that I didn't want because I had renamed my real home from my home to a sensible name. So it wasn't my home. My home wasn't my home. So I assumed my home was a generic branding, but it wasn't. That was actually a home that had been created. And so at some point, when I, I presume when I used the Miros app, it created a whole new home called My Home, moved me to that home, and then it added the plug in there. Not, not where it was supposed to be added, it was in My Home. Okay, back to the Googles. How do you move a device from one home to another home? Long story short, you can't, because that would be far too useful. Thank you, Apple. So the only thing to do was to delete the bloody thing from HomeKit, having spent all of this time, at least an hour at this stage, trying to get it to work, I delete and start over again. Anyway, the second time's a charm, I guess. I didn't touch it in the mirror, only removed it from Apple Home, rebooted everything, pressed and held the power button for five seconds, made sure it was on the right Wi-Fi, right? Absolutely everything to make absolutely sure every little thing called out in the how-to was perfect. Into HomeKit, click the plus button, scan the barcode, and shockingly, it actually added. Oh. I was able to name it, I was able to set it up, and it worked. I thought, great, finally, I'm not entirely sure how, but I have somehow stumbled into succeeding in getting this thing to work. Well, let's do the little uh, one-unit mini plug next. Control the lights at the front door. So, plug it into a power outlet, scan the barcode. No, failed. No, that, you know, you sure the device is on? Are you sure you're nearby? Yep, right in front of me. Blinky lights, definitely on. And I had done all the usual stuff of making sure that I was on the right Wi-Fi and I'd made sure I was in the right home. Right? It was really good. So fine, okay, it worked last time when I went to the Miros app, so let's do that. Nope, Miros app. No, there's no such device on your network. Yeah. So, it, okay. Reboot everything. I, that was just my answer to everything. Just reboot. Reboot again. Rebooted everything, started in home this time, and the thing just went straight in. Never have been able to get it into the Miros app, but it's in the home. I was able to name it. I was in the right home. Uh, I was able to name it, put it all together. So after an hour and a half, with many nuts, I now have my smart home, my Miros power strip, and one of my Miros plugs working in HomeKit in the right home, and only one of the two of them working in the Miros app. But you know something? I don't care. Why did I do all that? The answer is because I'm a giant big child. The problem to be solved was I wanted to be able to shout at the air, Hey, S lady, Jingle Bells, and have all the Christmas lights come up. So I created a new scene called Jingle Bells, added the coloured Christmas lights, the white Christmas lights, and the lights at the front door, and uh, it worked. And then, of course, that's only half the problem. I need to turn it off too. So I made another one called Humbug, which turns everything off. So I can now say, Hey, S lady, Jingle Bells, and the Christmas tree lights up, as as well as the lights at the front door. And I can say, Hey, S-Lady, humbug, and all the Christmas stuff goes out. 
makes me far more happy than it should. Like I say, giant big child. But it really, really, really shouldn't have been that much effort. Um, the next day then I realised I needed the third scene, which I'm calling uh, Festive Neighbourhood, which is basically the front door lights only and everything inside the house out so that we can still be good neighbours when we're away without having to have the lights on on the inside. Anyway, everything is fiddly. HomeKit is very fiddly. I would argue HomeKit feels like a beta product at best. Um, but Apple have decided not to call it beta. But I certainly hope it gets an awful lot more TLC in the next while. Anyway, talk to you soon. I'm really surprised Bart had this much trouble with the Meros plugs, especially since my experience with them was so seamless. I'm wondering whether starting with the Meros app is what actually messed things up for him. I simply scanned them into HomeKit and they worked. I also didn't do the more complex uh, power strip that he did, so maybe that had something to do with it. I think it is interesting hearing his perspective, as this is essentially his first experience with HomeKit. I don't disagree that this is a very fiddly bit of software, and it seems to follow no pattern. Every time I go in to do anything, I feel like I have to learn it all again. Either that, or it's just too darn confusing trying to keep track of automations versus scenes, and rooms versus home, and where and how to add devices. I have had devices be very difficult to add to HomeKit, so I have had the same experience as him, just not with Meros. Now, most of us have lived with this less than optimal experience with HomeKit for years now, and he's just running it into it for the first time. I caution him not to have high hopes for near-term fixes to how fiddly all this is, because the rest of us have been waiting for ages for a better app to come along. Now, remember I said it was ironic that Bodhi did the transcription for Descript using otter.ai when Descript itself could have done it? I decided to try using Descript to make a transcript of Bart's recording, and I have to say, I found it much more difficult and tedious to use than otter.ai. I'm going to try to find time to document my findings into a full article, uh, but I got to get that, uh, maybe my notes written up before the holidays, but time is kind of running short on that. The one thing I will say is that I think the point of the transcript in Descript is actually to allow you to edit the audio and video by editing the transcript. It's not the purpose of it to create the transcript itself. And it does say it's beta on the transcription service part of it. It was a really interesting experiment in any case, and I was able to create what I will call a very rough transcript of Bart's recording, but it took me a lot more editing than I expected. But there is a blog post if you want to go back and read how it did. Did you know you could go to podfeet.com slash Patreon and pledge financially to support the show? And by financially, I mean as low as a dollar? You're welcome to do more than a dollar, of course, but any amount helps. That's what George Goucher did this week, and I thank him from the very bottom of my heart for his generous pledge. The money helps pay the bills, but it also warms my heart to know he finds value in the content we make here, and he wants to demonstrate the value he finds. Thank you so much, Charles, for your support of the Podfeet Podcast. Next up is Security Bits, but don't forget to wait till after Security Bits to hear Steve's rendition of The Night Before Christmas. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchotts. Uh, It's been a short time since the last Security Bits, but it looks like a lot has happened, huh, Bart? Yeah, and I'm all very confused. It's all wibbly wobbly, timey wimey with you know Christmas and all that stuff going on, and then I've had a bunch of personal stuff going on. I don't know if I'm coming or going, 
But uh, I'm on Skype. You're on the other end of Skype and I have show notes. So I guess there you go. We well, the, do I do want to give a disclaimer before we start. We have someone trying to figure out what's wrong with our heat pump in our house. So it has been alternating between approximately 50 degrees in our house and 90. Um, it's up to 90 right now. So I've got the window open. So you might hear road, road noise. You also might hear the fan. It also might switch to freezing cold, at which, which point I will disappear and turn the and uh, try to close the window. Other than that, we've had uh, people working on my roof while I was recording this last week and they decided to do the once every five year trimming of the big tree outside my house uh while i was trying to record for screencast online so other than that you've managed to find a lot of work people to do work in the week before christmas (laughs) well i didn't intentionally have the people do the tree that's the city just does it when they want to do it i called them two years ago to tell them to get it get it off the (laughs) roof of my house so uh they're snappy about it so anyway Let's okay. dig in, shall we? Okay, well, let's start with our usual roundup of some follow-ups. So the first group of follow-ups is our friends at the NSO group, um, the our Pegasus friends. So Google's Project Zero released a really detailed report of the forced entry uh, vulnerability that they were using. It, uh, wow isn't a sufficiently strong word to describe the technological genius of their exploit. Hmm. They used... A, vulner- a very, very minor vulnerability in a codec for faxes from the 90s, which they exploited via a GIF file into which they were able to embed effectively a virtual computer, which they were w- was Turing complete enough that they could make the GIF file do calculations. Holy cow. That is... Yeah. I mean, they worked for their money, I guess. Right. That, I mean, the um, Citizens Lab guys are just, you know, they're like really serious computer researchers and they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Evil, but amazing. Uh, so maybe they could hire those people for good and not evil. Well, they, that, that, that funny you say that because apparently that may well be on the offer shortly because um, the NSO group are finding it very hard to sell their product at the moment. They are apparently mm-hmm. hemorrhaging money. They have a bunch of loans due. They're probably not going to be able to repay and a bunch of contracts were based on the assumption that their valuation would go up. It isn't. So they may be about to default on a whole bunch of stuff. So it seems Aww. to be falling apart. Yeah. Aww. Uh They're in talks to sell the company, according to Bloomberg and the FT. Uh, and apparently they're even considering converting it into a defensive tool to try to get it sold. Oh, so, wow. And they're also having trouble recruiting. Um, I don't know why no one would want to go work for the evil empire. <laughs> But I th- let's go poach those people. Yeah, clearly, because they're clearly very good. Um, and then in other related news, uh, the Financial Times and Ars Technica have a detailed report of the deal that the NSO group struck with Uganda. Uh, basically, this seems to be what led to the whole thing falling apart, because the Uganda deal... And it wasn't even worth that much money to them. They thought they were going to get a big sale out of it. They were trying to break into Africa. So they actually went over and had a meeting where they told the son of the dictator, wouldn't you love to be able to hack any phone in the world? And they unboxed a brand new iPhone and hacked it in front of them. And then were like, yeah, now don't use this for evil to the son of an African dictator. What precisely did they think was going to happen? Okay. Then, not long after... Eight U.S. State Department officials had their phones hacked with Pegasus and Apple told the State Department and then they were put on the block list and now the whole company's falling apart. So, yeah. 
I'm glad to know that there are methods. Like I've always, I always wonder about when they say, oh, well, we're going to do sanctions. It always sounds like a finger wag that has no power behind it, but apparently it does. It can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, and the, the Israeli government have basically thrown them under the bus because um, the, the Australian government, not the Australian, Jesus, sorry, Australians, the Israeli government um, used to use them as part of their diplomacy tools. They used to actually go around and offer Pegasus to people as part of their diplomatic stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, that also in the, in the FT report. But uh, now that the oh. Americans are cranky, uh, the, the Israeli government have just thrown them under the bus, watch their hand, nothing to do with us. And other companies are try, are asking their customers to tone it down in case Apple notice. <laughs> they don't want to be it, the it, next Pegasus. So I guess the real question is, is it the US government putting on the block list that's killing them, or is it Apple? <laughs> Which <Yes>. is more powerful? <laughs> the block wow. list actually yeah. is more powerful because... Um, Dell made it clear they were not shipping them any more servers because Dell are an American company, so they're not to sell them servers. Microsoft aren't allowed to give them support anymore or sell them any cloud services. Um, mm. Cisco aren't allowed to sell them any more switches. And apparently they had all of these things in their inventory and not all of these things are now unsupported and unreplaceable. Oh, nice. So well, it's very effective, actually. So yeah. Good, 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 good. I like that. Yes. Um, when Apple launched AirTags, they promised an Android app to help locate unknown AirTags that have been traveling with you. Well, that app is out. So if you have an Android phone, you can now play along with the, is there an AirTag following me? So the AirTag will still make noise, but it will. you can also use the app to seek one that's been with you for at least 10 minutes that isn't yours. Okay, so it's it's not like you can use an AirTag to track your own stuff. Well, well, well actually, can you? No, maybe not. This is just no. is somebody tracking me? Correct. This is a this okay. is a tool for you to yes exactly it's to give visibility into the network to uh, hinder abuse. Good. And there has been a lot of anecdotal evidence of AirTags being abused uh, to track cars and things. There appears to be a, a crime gang in Canada using yeah. AirTags as part of a scheme to steal cars to order, sort of a gun in 60 seconds style operation. So high value yeah, I cars. Like we, I feel like we talked about this. You draw, you find that you see a fancy car in a parking lot at a restaurant or whatever, you, you put an AirTag on it and then you figure out where they live and then you steal it because for some reason they don't lock their car at home. Well, I imagine it's all part of a bigger, you basically, you know, the gone in 60 seconds approach, you, you may put a tag on five cars that meet what's wanted by your client and you only steal one of them. But step one is figure out where they all live, figure out what their security is like, and then you pick off the weakest one. Yeah, I don't know what Gone in sixty seconds is. I don't. Oh, know it's, a, it's a movie means. with the uh, with 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 uh, man Cage, um, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. They steal cars to order, but it's okay. okay. He's a good but, guy. I mean, if He's you doing see it the because car... he was pulled back in. <laughs> okay, um, it, but if you if you already see the car, don't you see the car? What do you need to stick an air tag on for it? Why do you need well, because... to know where somebody lives? Because in order to steal these cars with advanced security, you need a little bit, you need time, you need to be somewhere quiet where you can work on it for a while. So you actually do need to do a bit of reconnaissance on it. It's it's not okay. it's not like stealing an old banger with a coat hanger. Okay. <laughs> so that's been going on. And there's also been a few other anecdotal news stories about people find you know, like this stalking type stuff. But those stories all had one thing in common, is that the, the reason they made the news is because the AirTag worked. 
people were like, why is there a funny beeping noise near me? And then they found the air tag. And then oh. the police were able to track it back to, you know, creepy boyfriend and that kind of thing. But they found it because the air tag did what it was supposed to do and made itself known. Okay. So, and that's being reported as scandal, scandal, scandal. And I'm like, so there were safety features built in because we thought this might be abused and the safety features worked, therefore scandal. Hmm. <laughs> It, also note there are bad guys yeah who knew who knew yeah. okay so anyway we have far the android app is actual nice. bad stories coming <laughs> yeah have we got a few a little more happy actually this section is quite good for today uh troy hunt uh also some follow-up here uh, a few months back troy gave an announcement about the future have the future of have i been pwned um one of the things was he was going to open source a bunch of stuff that has uh the basically the the API or the the code that drives the Have I Been Pwned API is now open source and on GitHub, and they were also going to have a, a cooperation with American law enforcement. And there is now an automated mechanism in place where the FBI, etc., when they find compromised passwords as part of an investigation, they now have a mechanism to push straight into Have I Been Pwned, and it will immediately oh. go live in the database. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't think he says it out front, but he does sort of strongly hint that there's similar work underway for UK law enforcement to push as well. Hmm. Talks about having a very good relationship with UK law enforcement. I don't know why he'd mention that if he wasn't, they weren't going to do something together. But anyway. Yeah, I like it. Okay, good. Uh, in terms of social media updates, just the one, WhatsApp now hides your last seen status from people you don't know, which left me going, wait a what? You didn't do that before? <laughs> Oh, uh, well, that's just, that's not where you were seen. That's just that you were on the app. Right. I always assumed that would be kept private like it is in every other app. You don't get to see people's online status without being their friends. I can't see what the danger of that one is. Am I... Boss stalking? If you're Sorry? Like simple stuff like you know you, you you say to your boss you're 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 going to be offline for a bit and they see you on WhatsApp and all of a sudden you have awkward questions. I mean it's just the most fundamental thing. People, strangers should not know when you are and are not at your phone. Hmm. It's I guess a, it's a real privacy violation. I I'm, I've never seen an app that would like when when we haven't connected on Skype. I don't know what, whether someone's online or offline on Skype or on Teams or anything else unless I'm unless we have a relationship. Yeah, I guess I just never thought about it. Yeah, I just I just read the headline and I was like, "Huh? Well, okay, good." Seems but like <laughs> seems like something that should have been implemented up front. That's for sure. I just kind of always assumed it was. Yeah. Anywho, um, we're going for a deep dive into Log4j, but not in the way you might expect. So, I mean, I linked, or I do link in the show notes to what I think is the single best description of the technical details of how Log4j works. It's from Naked Security. It's a superb article, so link in show notes. There's also a great video that the Nasilla Castaways were enjoying in the Slack, potfeet.com forward slash Slack. That was Um, uh, courtesy of Grumpy, I think, put that one in there, Mike Price. Indeed. Also from Naked Security, also from the same person who wrote the blog post that I was so enamored with. Um, I've only watched the first five minutes of it because I didn't get time because stuff happened. Um, But the first five minutes were very good. And according to the community, the other... 13 minutes are good too. 
Yeah, I'm not big on just sitting and watching video. That's just not something I do. And I watched all 18 minutes of it. It was fascinating because they, they, what I liked about the video was he built it up very slowly and carefully. Like, okay, here's a little thing you can do. Here's kind of a little bit more thing you can do. Hmm, that doesn't seem so bad. Well, but then look what I can do. And he had all these different servers talking to each other, but he did a really good job of showing which one he was talking about and super, super clear. Um, I also like that he came up with yet a third pronunciation for the... Um, uh, the the what I call squirrely brackets. What are they Ooh. really called? Uh, with curly bracket, curly cur- braces. They're really called curly braces or curly brackets. I call them squirrely brackets, which bothers some people. But he calls them squiggly brackets. So. I heard that actually. <laughs> anyway, that, yeah, actually. it's a, that's English. a great video. I I enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and you didn't have to know a lot in order to follow yes. along exactly what he, he his explanation was very good. Yeah. While we're on pronunciations, by the way, there's a bit of a kerfuffle in the community. Is it Log4J or Log4J? Oh. Hmm. Well, it's Log4Shell, so... Well, that's the vulnerability is Log4Shell, but the actual the, the actual uh, protocol. So the Java people say it's Log4J, but Log4J is also used a lot in the security community, and they call it Log4J. Oh. <laughs> Maybe they're leftover SourceForge people? Yeah, so I think the best answer I saw because I was I was I wanted to get the pronunciation so that I could you know be snarky about it in the show notes, and the best answer I got was um, I think it was on Reddit where someone said you're basically arguing about tomato or tomato. Stop it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll take it. Whatever way you want to pronounce. Gift, gift, Jeff. Move on. Yeah, indeed. Um, so last time we were speaking about log for J. It was kind of breaking news, and I was basically saying, I think this is going to be a really big deal, and if you know a sysadmin who works for a large organization, buy them a coffee because they're going to need it. Well, I I deserve 10 out of 10 for my predictive powers on that one. That's certainly what happened. Um, in fact, it's been quite chaotic Actually, all in all. Yeah? I just realized we, we haven't done a f- five-second recap of what this is, and I know I have trouble remembering things week to week. Okay, so Log4J is a vulnerability in the Log4J library, which is a logging system used... It's for the Java language, hence Log4J, and it is commonly used in large enterprise systems to handle logs. And the the vulnerability allows people from the outside filling in a web form to actually execute code on a server that they don't own. That is one of the mechanisms. That is one of the mechanisms. So the actual vulnerability is a little more generic than that. If someone on the outside can cause an unpatched log4j server to write a log entry of the outside person's composition, then the outside person can execute arbitrary code. Right. And so the way iCloud was broken was people named their iPhones with the exploit string. And then iCloud logged the name of the iPhone in a log file somewhere, which triggered the vulnerability. So I didn't know iCloud was was attacked from this. B- proof of concept and briefly, there was, there's, there's no, there's, there was no breach or no damage, but yes, they were able to, they were able to prove that Apple had some work to do, which was done very quickly. Um, but yeah, so that was a case of rename the phone. So anything you can do on the outside to cause a log to happen will cause will can trigger the vulnerability. And the easiest way to make something log is a web server where you okay. type in a URL, stick a question mark on the end, and then stick whatever you want after it. And the web server will dutifully log the URL you submitted and say, well, I sent the 404 back to that person, but they've logged it. 
Yeah, okay. Right, right, right. Okay, just want to make sure everybody was on the same page yeah. as we walked through this. So you said, I think this is going to be even bigger than we thought. And unfortunately, you're right. Uh, yeah, but... I did say at the time, you know, for your corporate sysadmin friends, because really, this is an enterprise product. This is not the kind of thing that's hiding around in everyone's house. So that is, from the Nasilla Castaway's point of view, we can sort of sit back and watch. We, do, we, don't have to, we don't have to go unplug stuff. We don't have to go stress. For us, this is just, uh, oh dear, look at that over there. We, we can Except for all the sysadmins and the no-sill castaways. Right, exactly. So I had a pretty cruddy week. Um, I think there were a few times you were asking me for help with something. And I was like, nope, can't. Log for Jay. And that was all I had to say. And you were like, okay, understood. <laughs> um, yeah, so... To put some sort of perspective on how chaotic it's been, uh, there's been a patch to the patch to the patch. Great. Yeah. So if you thought you patched it on the first day, well, you get to do it again. And if you did it again too quickly, you get to do it again again. And since we're recording now a few hours after I wrote the show notes, for all I know, there's a patch to the patch to the patch to the patch. <laughs> it's it's one of those things. No one had looked at this code for a very, very, very long time. And a bit like the, the, the printer vulnerabilities recently in Microsoft, once someone pulled on the first thread... A lot of stuff came unraveled, oh. and that's what's happening here with Log4J. They, they fixed one bug, and then everyone sort of went looking in the adjacent code. I was like, oh, look at that. Oh, and look at that. Oh, and look at that. Oh, and look at that. And yeah. So one of the things that uh, that I asked about was I knew this had something to do with Apache. And so I asked mm. in the community, did I need to patch uh, that I run uh, a MAMP server, uh, basically a little web server on my Mac. And I know the A stands for Apache. Do I need to do something? But apparently I was confused by something that confused a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, don't don't take blame for it. So the Apache web server... Is officially called HTTPD originally, and now it's officially called the Apache HTTP server. Okay. And that is an extreme, that is as much as Netscape, the product that made the internet, right? The Apache web server is what turned the World Wide Web from an idea into a reality every bit as much as uh, the early web browsers. Oh. And that was so successful that the model, so they, they, had, they built a strong organization and a good model for doing open source, and they were very good at it. And after the success of their web server, they, they figured, well, we're good at open source. Why do we only have one product? Why don't we take our skills and branch out? So they effectively did a, a Facebook, a meta, and they basically went, we're going to call our organization the Apache Foundation, and we're going to start to do multiple products. Not just the web server, but we're going to do other stuff too. But the web server was universally known as Apache, so they couldn't really stop calling it Apache. So they they called it, you know, the Apache HTTP server. But in everyone's mind, if you just say Apache, people don't think the Apache Foundation. They think the Apache web server. Right. Now, everything else Apache do, they Mm -hmm. want a brand as Apache because it's such a good name. So they call it (laughs) Apache Log4J, Apache Tomcat. They just stick their name in front of everything. But people hear Apache and they think the web server. So they hear Apache Log4J and they think it has to do with the web server, not the Apache Foundation. Okay. Okay, so this is this is shedding light on maybe it's smart that a company like uh, Google ended up having Alphabet, Alphabet. over Google. Fair. Nobody actually thinks about it, though. We still think of it as Google's YouTube. But that's what Facebook is trying to do with Meta. 
where they've mm-hmm. got Meta owns Facebook, owns WhatsApp, owns uh, Oculus. Exactly. So this is, to put an analogy on this, this is like a vulnerability in Oculus and people worrying about Facebook. The same parent, okay. but completely different children that have nothing got to do you, with each other. Okay. And in, in the case of Log4j, it's a Java thing. So the Apache web server is not a Java thing, which is probably why it's popular. Um, right. So I get my Java hate on here. Well, not hate. I, I still have a slight soft spot for Java because it was my very first programming language. But, mm, it's not efficient. Um, a lot of people were worried about IoT, which is the one way that you would... So once we got away from the whole, no, no, it has nothing to do with the Apache web server, so your LAMP stacks and your MAMPs and stuff are fine. Apache web server used to be built into macOS. It isn't, hasn't been in ages, but even if it had been, you're fine. But the one thing that could affect Nocilla Castaways who are not sysadmins would be IoT. That was an area of concern. And the first question was, do the IoTs themselves run Log4j? And that doesn't seem to be a big thing. And I would imagine it's because the Java virtual machine is a resource hog. And the one thing IoT devices don't like is resource hogs. So Java just isn't a big platform on the IoT. But, 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 but. Java is a huge platform for back-end services powering the cloud. And an awful lot of IoT devices have cloud backends. And so the sysadmins of the cloud backends belonging to the IoT makers have work to do. But the owners of the IoT, well, there's nothing you can do, right? You you can't patch the back-end. You can only patch the front-end. But it does kind of make you think again about, I hate this phrase, but you need to buy from a high quality vendor, from a trusted vendor. And how you define what a high quality or trusted vendor is, is always problematic. The word I prefer is reputable. And by all that means is they have built up a reputation. Yeah. You don't have to be big to have a reputation. But if you have a reputation, True. then you can go to a then you can go to somewhere like uh, you know one of the major tech websites and look for a review, right? If you're reputable, then you're going to be on those kind of places. You don't have to be a massive seller; you just have to have earned a reputation in the community. Yeah, it's not it's not great, right? A, a little tick box would be nice, but reputable is at least an easier to quantify thing than big. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about like the company Meros that we're all excited about in the last few weeks. Uh, basically, I think every NoSelic Astaway this week has bought a, at least one Meros device, like the switch, the the plugs I bought. Even well, I was going to say b- between you and Barry, the Meros <laughs> fairly got a plug this week, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, well, and Stephen Getz got me started. But however, I never heard about it through any reputable site. I heard about okay. it through Stephen Getz, saw it on Amazon with that sticker that said uh, HomeKit compatible. It was a cheap price and I bought it. I didn't right. do it based on reputation. Well, you kind of did because that's a different type of reputation. Certification is a form of reputation. Mm. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll give you that. So, and that's why I'm kind of excited about stuff like Matter. Because the more of these things can we can certify, that just puts a security floor under it, right? You got the certification, yeah. you are at least this secure. You know, there, there's more than just this, but hey, there's a baseline. Right, but there's, you can see works with uh, Amazon's voice assistant on a lot of stuff that I wouldn't call that certified. Right, because I don't believe there is a security requirement in works with. Whereas right. HomeKit, HomeKit does enforce an encryption and a bunch of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, the certification is only as good as what it certifies. 
right? If I yeah, certify you insane, that means that you are actually not very good. <laughs> not that I can right, certify right. anyone anything, but... Uh. Okay, so we don't need to worry about our IoT devices in our home, but they very likely, uh, if they're... If their backends are Java-powered. If they're small, no. How, how would you know whether your IoT device, you should throw it in the bin? You, you, you don't. You kind of can't, right? Yeah. So if there's a news story about the company that your device is from, that their cloud is... For, like, okay, if a major cloud provider is hacked, it will be in the tech news. Hasn't been in the tech news yet, so so far we don't have big problems. A lot of the cheaper devices actually all piggyback off cloud as a service. So we've already seen this a few times where a vulnerability in a server you've never heard of ends up affecting lots of IoT devices because they're they're not running their own backends. But in this case, that's an advantage because if one of these big mega providers had gotten hacked with Log4j, we'd have heard about it. So as okay. of this recording, that hasn't happened. And to be honest, I, I don't imagine it will for a really good reason. Cybercrime is a business. The value is not in people's IoT devices. The value is in the large corporations who are all running on Java stacks. The low-hanging fruit is corporate IT. Also where the money is. And the least likely to be able to respond quickly. But the more the more all in you are on Java, the more embedded this is in your stack, the harder it is to fix, the harder it is to find. So I think for a long time, there's there is you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun all of your mates, and your mates actually are large enterprises. Yeah. They're taking the heat at the moment. Or the Belgian Ministry of Defense was one of the victims this week. Mm. But what I will say is it is conceivable that there is Log4j bundled with some of our stuff. It is conceivable. So if you get some patches, install them. But yeah. right now, the attackers are not focused on us. We are not okay. We are not where the money is. We are not in the line of fire here. Okay. We're the back so buy, buy your sysadmin coffee and cake, though. Coffee and cake. Yes, I approve. I approve of this message. Yes. Basically, we're the we're the backwoods cabin, and our front door might be a bit shaky, but there ain't no one rattling it at the moment because someone left Fort Knox half open. Okay. So that's to say, this is all subjects to change because attacks get better, not worse. Yada yada yada. But anyway, um, so I've already mentioned the Naked Security Explainer, and we've already mentioned the Naked Security video. Um, actually, if you have if you know a sysadmin who works for a federal agency in the US, buy them two coffees because. The second emergency directive of the year has just been issued, just in time for New Year's. All federal agencies must mitigate Apache Log4j before the 23rd of December. So before tomorrow as we record this. So no sysadmin Christmas until uh, you've done all your Log4j homework. (laughs) So, look, it's important, but yeesh. Uh, and then a story I wanted to throw in before we get to your story, just to to, to uncleanse our palate. Um... (laughs) So with all of the confusion about Apache Log4j, uh, the Apache web server still exists. It's still used by half the internet. It also got security updates. Now, they're nowhere near as catastrophic as the stuff going on with Log4j, but you should patch your Apache because actually there's patches out for it too. Which is fine, Alison, your server patches itself. Oh, okay, good. But I would probably need to open it for it to do that. No, that's what CRUD is for. Don't e- Wait, I don't even have to launch MAP? 
It's up. Oh, sorry, mount on your. Oh, sorry, mount on your own. Oh, machine. you meant my yes. my uh, my server podfeet.com. Yeah, I, usually you ask me is podfeet going to be okay? Okay, <laughs> but podfeet. We, the reason podfeet's podfeet. okay is because we have it updating itself, which is the right thing to do, right? Like backups. There you go. Don't rely on you to do it. Let them do it themselves. Right, right. But yes, your MAMP, although to be honest, there's no attack surface in your MAMP because it's listening on localhost only. So unless you plan on hacking yourself. <laughs> okay. And in this case, you need best. to run your MAMP as a reverse proxy, <laughs> which I don't okay. think you're doing. Not, th- not enable, last I checked. Yeah, or enable the optional Lua module, which allows you to reprogram the innards of the web server through the Lua scripting language. I don't think I'm up to that challenge just yet. Someday, maybe I'll be able to do that. Yeah. Well, so basically, just... if Go you're ahead. running an Apache-based reverse proxy with your work hat on, you should patch. If you're doing Lua scripting in Apache, you should patch. But you know who you are if you're running Lua scripting in Apache. Um, and in fact, the, the Lua module says, do not use this in production. It is dangerous. So. Okay. Well, just in case you thought this was uh, any good news here, um, apparently it was uh, the Alibaba cloud who discovered the Log4Shell vulnerability in Log4J. Is that they correct? Are, there are One many of the discoverers, groups. but they are, they are the ones who reported it in such a way that it was heard. Okay, so they reported it uh, to the uh, Log4J developers. And uh, they did it before they told the Chinese government, and the Chinese government didn't like that. So China's Ministry of Educate of Industry and Information Technology said it will temporarily suspend its collaboration with Alibaba Cloud as a cyber threat intelligence partner because they didn't inform the government before they told the developers so that the developers could put out a patch and fix it. Yeah, and then just. Conveniently, the Belgian defense forces are hacked by an advanced persistent threat believed to be the Chinese government using Log4J. The only way I can look at this with any sort of, uh, I don't know, bright shining light is to say, I'm glad I live in the land of the free. You know, we, we ain't perfect, but we're not doing that. Except for the fact that the CIA kind of were. Just we're. It's like no, they weren't. Mechanism. They weren't punishing a company for not telling it. That's first okay. That's before. fair. They were that's what keep, I'm talking about. I'm they, not saying we don't attack and hack everybody. Don't don't even get started on that. I am not naive about that. I'm saying that uh, the United States government mm. did not doesn't punish a company for telling developers before they tell the government, so that, that is the true. government can they, use it. They they get cr- they get cranky silently because that means that they can't <laughs> use it without people knowing about it. But they yeah exactly. right they don't punish they don't punish Google for patching. Exactly yeah. exactly yeah no fair I'll give you that I'll give you that one silver lining okay. accepted we have one great. <laughs> okay. Moving on to good action as we alerts. Can pull together. Yeah moving on to action alerts okay uh, patch Tuesday look patchy patchy patch patch. Nothing wildly exciting, but some of the exploits are already being exploited in the wild because that's what happens once bugs are known about. So, And this is Microsoft's Patch Tuesday he's talking about. Microsoft Patch Tuesday, indeed. So patch your Microsoft stuff, your Windows especially, um, because the exploits are there and they're being used. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Apple then got very busy. And so there are security patches for basically everything, right? So iOS 15.2, iPadOS 15.2, macOS 12.1, Monterey, watchOS 8.3, tvOS 15.2. Not listed there. There was also a few security updates for the older OSs. 
And so they're just, okay, take that as a given. But these are actually major releases as well as being security fixes. So 15.2 and 12.1 are actually feature releases. So you know the way Apple have started to do that now, about halfway through the year they released the features they couldn't squeeze in in time for WWDC. So we actually have a whole bunch of security and privacy related new features that have just arrived on our iOS devices. And so I figured that was probably worth highlighting to our good listeners. So the first of these is account recovery contacts. And it's very important to understand the function of account recovery contacts before we talk about the next feature. So account recovery contacts are a way that you can nominate someone who you trust, friends or family, to help you get back into your account. So the person you nominate can't get into your account. They can only help you. They're basically given some secret information to help you with password recovery. They are not the people who get access. You are. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of tricky. It's kind of an escrow thing. Um, so it it's kind of actually I think one password for families does things in a somewhat similar. Yeah, let's go in there. It's yeah. So basically, instead of you having to phone Apple to get your secret code and stuff, you know the way actually you can get a secret recovery code to yeah. help you get back into your account. Well, in this case, the secret recovery code is put into the iCloud account of your trusted person so that your trusted person can produce that recovery code and get you back in. But they can't use it to get themselves in. Yes, because they don't have all of the information. So the recovery code is enough to prove to Apple that your password is authorized to be reset, but they're not going to give the password to someone but you. How interesting. So it's a nice feature. So this is fantastic for families, really. To particularly if you have, say, family members that you are so that you are IT support for, yeah. then this is a good way to, to, to sort of instead of them having to give you the password, they can just make you an account recovery contact. Now, I'm not so, saying don't do password sharing. You know, there are secure ways of doing that with password managers, but this is a nice option Apple have given us now. Yeah. So you uh, linked to a, an article by iMore. <clears throat> explaining how to set it up with your iPhone or iPad, is it for the Mac as well? Well, it's for your iCloud account. Right, but it says how to set up account recovery contacts on iPhone and iPad is the article. I'm just kind of surprised it's specific, not including macOS. I, maybe, I would imagine the UI is at the very least different, and it may or may not be present when they wrote that article. Okay, I'm just, uh, I'm just thinking I know people who have Macs who don't have iPhones. Not many. Um, yeah, I don't know. Honest answer. I don't okay. know. It might be. Okay. The functionality is iCloud, so there's no reason Apple couldn't make the UI available, but you I think, do not know. Yeah. And as we discovered in yesterday's programming by Stealth, the Mac I record on is very out of date. Not It's getting its security patches, right? It's a supported OS, but it's so old it doesn't have any waffles. Aww. <laughs> Let Still alone. Still Mojave. Still a Mojave, yes. So the other feature which people confused account recovery contacts with is called legacy contacts. And this is kind of the inverse. This is a mechanism for you to nominate some some people, friends or family, to access your iCloud account when you're gone. And they cannot get in until you're gone. Because one of the things needed to make this go is a death certificate. So, oh, okay. You nominate them as a contact, that gets added into their keychain, and then they have effectively a token that allows them into your account when accompanied with a death certificate. 
So token plus death certificate equals access to account. I wonder why they had to do that. Um, but when Tim Verporten passed away, someone hacked into his Twitter account and started tweeting profanity, which is about the last thing in the world Tim would have wanted to have happen. And I was able to get control of his account or at least get it stopped just with a death certificate. Right, but you would have then had to take up contact and so forth and jump through some hoops. This way, effectively, it's like a living will, right? You can achieve the same things without having it all prepared in advance, but the path, the amount of friction required by your family will be infinitely less if you have this in place. Because there have been court orders where Apple have handed over stuff to families who've produced death certificates, but it's a, it's, it's a kerfuffle. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I it? didn't get I didn't get access to his account. So I think maybe that's a little different. That is, I was okay, just so able that is to different. get them to stop it to say, look, this guy's dead, kill this account. Okay, which is a lesser thing indeed. Yeah. Which is an important thing for something like Twitter, which is obviously a public facing thing. Yeah. Um okay. so in this case it's actually so that your your friends and family can recover your iCloud backup, basically. What what actually happens is that they can restore your iCloud account onto a device of theirs and then they have your photos and so on and so forth. They won't get yeah, your keychain. They won't get your what? Your keychain. They don't get the stuff that's double encrypted. They only get yeah. the stuff that you would get yourself from a, a recovery. I also uh, understand they don't get access to things like movies you've purchased because you only purchased a license. You don't really correct. own the movie. Correct, correct, Or correct. music or whatever. Yes, yeah, so it's not an inheritance. It's access to your... It's not access to what they bought off Apple. It's access to their stuff. Yeah. And to be honest, the most valuable thing is the photos. Sure, sure. I mean, if Apple were to say the only thing you can have is photos, I think people would be delighted. The fact that it's the full iCloud backup is a bonus, I think. Yeah, and I think this was important because now, let's say um, I set it up and then Steve has access to it because I set it up. There have been cases where um, I know there was a, a young man who passed away and his parents really wanted access to the photos, but there was no proof that he wanted them to have access to his yes. photos. Yes, exactly. And that, uh, in a privacy-focused company, you can't assume that just because someone is your biological family, you want them to have your stuff. Because there are biological families that are not particularly on good terms with each other. You know, biology does not guarantee a desire to share your stuff. Yeah, and exactly. photographs can be pretty personal. Okay, what else was in these these updates? So another one is app privacy report. This is this is an opt-in feature that is aimed at security researchers and it's also fun for nerds. This is not a feature aimed at regular people because what it will give you is the kind of information overload you get from little snitch and the like. It is too much information to be of use to a normal person. That's not who it's for. When you turn this on, your iPhone will log just about anything of consequence all of your apps do. Every Ooh. server they talk to, every time they ask for data from any iPhone sensor, every time they use an iPhone API to access your photos, every time they use an API to access your contacts. So basically what this is a tool that allows security researchers to verify that an app does what its privacy policy, etc., promises. So at the moment, to do this, you have to set up a man-in-the-middle attack against your own iPhone and to steal it from the wire. Apple are just saying, no, no, we're the operating system. We see everything. Why don't we just give you a report? I, Bart is seeing a giant grin go across my face, not because I have any intention of putting this on, 
my, any device of yeah. mine, but because other people will, and they're going to tell me what's actually going on. Precisely. Precisely. Like, like I've asked this app not to track, and it's tracking, it for example. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, those privacy nutrition labels, they're effectively the promise the app makes. And this is the tool to allow anyone who who is interested to verify the promise. This app says it doesn't use trackers. Okay, then. What network connections does this app make? Oh, look, it's reaching out to this tracker over here. The app violates its promises. Report to Apple. Big news story. Problem goes away. Nice. So I just think it's amazing. This is the kind of tool that the security researchers, it's going to make their life easier. It's just they get the information now without hassle, which means more people can do it more easily, more eyes. You know, the old cliche about sunlight being the best disinfectant. This is just fantastic. Now, I know there's people who are cranky because it's not on by default. It's like, why would you turn on mass surveillance by default? (laughs) Like this thing tracks everything the apps do. And yeah. the report is only meaningful to people who understand computers. Right? This is, yeah, this th- is... those are people who've never run a log file for a developer before. I've been fighting, not fighting, being assisted by many developers recently with things going wonky. And, oh, when they tell me i got to turn on logging, it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's got to be this horrible file. And I don't need to look at it, but I always do, trying to find something in there, and I can never find anything, and they're just they're just ridiculously complicated. I like to cast my eye over them to make sure there's nothing in there I don't expect to see. Oh, but they're thousands of lines long. I know, I know. You kind of have to do a sort of cursory scan and hope that you're, 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 the human superpower of pattern recognition will do its thing. Yeah. We are good at it. <laughs> like, we are, like, if something like a URL scrolls by, you'll spot it. Like, your, your brain will spot those shapes. Right, but I don't know what to, I don't know what to be looking for to be worried about when I'm looking. I, at I, neither do I. I just scan through them and just trust the human anatomy that we are great pattern matchers. I just I just basically cast my eye over it and see if any patterns match. Okay. It's, what are they look? If I miss everything, well, I'm no worse off than if I done nothing. And if I catch something, well, I catch something. And you feel like you did something, right? I feel like I at least tried, right? You know, best effort. Well, not even best effort. An effort. <laughs> token effort maybe <laughs> more, um, but anyway uh, the other thing Apple did then is they enabled the two non-controversial child protection features so Siri has learned the extra skills to tell people where to get help if there's abuse images found and parents have the parental cro- control to enable iMessage to use machine learning to check for nudity and warn children the feature has been tweaked a little bit uh, so that there is now no possibility of the parent being notified unless the child agrees. So it okay, was the so case that under 13s, so they basically they've made it so that the, the child has more control. Okay. So the, the iMessage one is one where somebody texts a, an image to a child and they get a warning saying, hey, you might not want to see this. This is some bathing suit parts. And maybe maybe you don't want to look at this and they have to actively say that they want to Show see it. Show me anyway. Correct. And in the past, if they were under 13, it would have then said if the... Okay, so all of this is opt-in. So the parent... It has to be a child account in a family iCloud package and the parent has to have enabled it for the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the original way, the child would be told, we think this is dodgy. Do you want to open it anyway? And then if they were under 13 and if the parents had opted in, then the child would have been told, if you proceed... We will tell your parents. 
Right. And they could still proceed, but they didn't have control over whether or not they would tell their parents. That's gone. And instead, there is now a button for the child. Would you like to let your parents know this happened to you? In other words, do you want help? Mm. But that button never gets pressed, but okay. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not, right? If if a kid gets sent some, some, you know, it could be part of a bullying campaign or something, that actually might be a fantastically important button. Yeah, yeah. So uh, back up, though, the Siri one you went quite quickly through saying Siri would recognize naughty pictures, but I don't know. No, 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 no. If you ask Siri, no, no. No, it's just if you ask Siri for help with CSAM, it will direct you to resources. Okay, you said if naughty pictures were found. No. When you described mm, it. Okay. Not in the, that was out of context of the Siri. But that okay. was out of context okay. of the Siri, yeah. So this is just saying you could say, hey, yes, lady, uh, can you help me with bullying or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I think basically they, they worked with some child protection charities to prepare answers to relevant questions about child protection. Okay. All right. So Good. Siri, Siri has an extra skill, basically. So we got um, some of what they were trying to do earlier, but not the controversial stuff. Not the CSAM. So simultaneously with this being released, Apple updated their website so it reflects... So instead of it saying, we are planning to do blah, 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 their website now describes the two features that really do exist. And their website doesn't mention the CSAM anymore. It just says what they do. And a bunch of media people assumed that, therefore, the CSAM was gone. Whereas everyone else was like, no, the web page used to be aspirational. Now the web page is describing an actual launch product, so it only describes what's actually launched. So Apple were reached, Apple were asked for comment, and Apple went, "We have not changed our plans. We are continuing to work with the relevant people to help us perfect our design." Work continues, or something to that effect. So CSAM is the the is the the bad photos. Yeah, I was going to say correct? child. C is child. Abuse is A. Material is M. Child sexual abuse material detection. Oh, yeah. Duh. So okay. so they're still working on that, but that... Well, how do they know that these are pictures of... Uh, oh, oh, the ones that we think this is pictures of, of bathing suit areas, that's not using CSAM. Correct. That is AI. Okay. Uh, the CSAM is the, the hashes from the chari- child protection charities. The, the CSAM is known... Is hashes of known abuse images... Whereas right. the iMessage parental control feature is AI basically trying to figure it out. Okay. Okay. Which, is, which makes sense in that context. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that's a lot of security and privacy stuff for 1.2 release. That's, uh, Apple, Apple were quite busy. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's good. Yeah, it is. Moving on to worthy warnings. This is obviously not the happy joy joy section of the show. Um, last minute story that broke just as we were going to recording. Um, apparently, the big hip present to buy is something called the Fisher Price Chatter Phone. So, when I was a kid, the Fisher Price phones just looked like a phone, and that was it. But now they connect to actual phones over Bluetooth, so they actually work. But they didn't bother with any security on the Bluetooth. So there's no pairing okay. mechanism. You just just got to be in range, really, and you can take over the phone of a child. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. 
So the, the, the details are on TechCrunch. Basically, a bunch of British security researchers read the packaging and went, oh, my God, this is the design flaw. This has opened a massive abuse. The toy is selling out so fast they couldn't get their hands on one to test their theory. So TechCrunch were able to procure one and they walked TechCrunch through the steps that they feared would trigger the problem. And TechCrunch were like, yep, that's exactly what it does. It is exactly as vulnerable as you feared. So that's... I'm within Bluetooth range of a telephone inside in the hands of a child. Yeah. So in and apartment living, what? you can, like like the baby monitors, where you can scare the living bejesus out of kids. It's the same vulnerability. But what can I, so I've got a phone. I pair it to the, uh, to the Bluetooth on the chatter phone. You can. And then I can talk to them. And no. hear everything yes? in the room. And hear everything okay. in the room. So it's a two-way, you have a so speakerphone. So I have to phone. be within a hundred feet or so. Don't you have a yes. bigger problem? No, not if you live in apartments. We Europeans live awfully close together. Yeah. And as long as there's no refrigerators in between or wire mesh in the walls. And well, you blah, do blah, know blah. that the one time you want Bluetooth not to work is the one time <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Of course, good point. Right. When you okay. want a good signal, you won't get one, but when you really wish it wouldn't. So, it, I mean, it should just be as straightforward. You have to, like, you know, push push the push the one button to do the pairing. Like, even just a physical mash the keypad to prove a pairing would be sufficient. Like, the, the, the bar to solving this is very, very trivial. But, and maybe a firmware update will fix it, but at the moment, if you... If you're one of the people snatching these things off the shelves quicker than they can get sold, bear in mind, depending on your living conditions, if you live, if there's no neighbors within 100 yards, okay, it's a hypothetical problem. But if you live in New York City, it's probably more real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The other one, I am tempted to laugh at this next story, and I briefly did until you pointed out that this was targeted at children. So the headline from the BBC kind of says it all. Anti-5G necklace found to be radioactive. So believing in cuckoo as Cocoa Pops nutty as squirrel poo nonsense about 5G can actually get you into serious trouble because you end up actually irradiating yourself with actual radiation while protecting yourself from fictitious nonsense. And that would have been ha-ha-ha funny, but it's aimed at bloody well kids. So it, it isn't only children, it's, uh, it, it's the necklaces aren't, but they had bracelets for children, mm, which took, took, the, took kind of the fun out of making fun of people who were putting these on. But uh, what I don't understand is if you were going to make an anti-5G necklace, you probably know that you're talking to people who are perhaps less than educated about scientific such things and don't understand. Why wouldn't you just make them out of plastic? Why did, nothing. Yeah. To, why did you have to bother to put radioactive materials in them? I mean, that has to have cost money. Right. You could Maybe put it's because they have a certain in them, heft right? of them or something. Rock. Or actually. Yeah, rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I had a couple of fun responses on, on Twitter where I had an old school friend of mine, an old university friend of mine say, God, I thought these things did nothing. And I was like, yeah, well, if they did nothing, they'd actually be healthier for you. <laughs> like, if they actually did nothing, they would be better for you than if they do something. Exactly. So, yeah, look, it, this stuff is like, you know, people say, oh, it's just harmless. No, it isn't pretty well harmless. It's, it's really quite dangerous to get pulled into pseudoscientific nonsense. It yeah. can do you serious harm. 
Okay, only one piece of notable news, and it's a bizarre story. So this was kind of a Rorschach test for headline writers. So the UK Competition and Markets Authority released a report on the mobile ecosystem from an anti-competitive point of view. And the report is full of finger-wagging at Google and Apple. And the report's conclusion is that the British government should do nothing. So depending on whether you have a pro or anti-Apple or Google bent, you either report it as report, scathing report, recommends no action be taken, versus UK government gives Apple and Google a free pass if you're very much on the other side of the thing. But it's the bizarrest thing. The report lays out all of the different potential problems they see, then they pay lip service to the fact that there might be some security implications to forcing side-loading, and then the report concludes with recommend we do nothing. It actually recommends we do nothing? Or I think it, just... I think it's recommend we do nothing for now. I, do, I think it is actually qualified with for now, but that is no. actually the report's recommendation that there be no government action. So, okay. <laughs> but it made well, a lot of news, so there it is. Um, moving on then, I have two interesting insights I thought worthy of linking our listeners to. So the first is an essay by Troy Hunt, who's all over the show notes this month or this week. Um, so this is a little essay, bit of a journey to go on. Uh, he basically starts by asking the question, well, I, what is a breach, right? Because you often see headlines where a company says, this wasn't a breach. This was someone misusing an API, not a breach. This wasn't a hack. And uh, Troy was like, well, what is the actual definition here? And he takes us through some very real-world examples where the same technological type of issue results in something which everyone would agree is a breach and which everyone would agree isn't a breach. So you actually don't want a technological explanation. And he comes up with what I think is a wonderfully simple definition of what is or is not a data breach. A data breach occurs when information is obtained by an unauthorized party in a fashion in which it was not intended to be made available. Doesn't matter if you hack or if the company just made a boo-boo, it's a data breach. If data has been accessed by unauthorized people in a way that it was not intended to be, then it's a data breach and you should report it. And that is the definition that Have I Been Pwned used. Because basically, whenever uh, Troy puts stuff up onto Have I Been Pwned, he gets pushback from people going, well, that's not a hack. <laughs> they just didn't put a password on their database. Like, yeah, but does that actually change the effect on the people whose data it was? But th that's why it's important to use the, the just that those two words, data breach. So w remember when everybody thought that iCloud got hacked because, uh, who was it, the woman that carried the little dog around, uh, the, the uh, actress? Oh, we had terrible security questions. Yeah, she had bad security questions because they were all about her dog, and she was internationally famous, and as was the dog, and so everybody knew the answers, and somebody got into her account. So data uh, information was obtained by an unauthorized party in a fashion which it was not intended to be made available. So it was a data breach, but it wasn't necessarily a hack. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So would, wouldn't this also apply? Who was the young man that that um, what was it he did? He took he took some data from a university library or something like that. The, the young man who killed himself. Uh, no, he didn't take data from a university library. He made research available to people freely that was otherwise behind a paywall. OK, so information was obtained by an unauthorized party in a fashion in which it was not intended to be made available. 
All right, but it wasn't personal information. It was. It didn't say no, no. The definition doesn't say personal. Actually, there's a quibble. Um, I think in context, that's that, that Troy didn't mean, you know, pressing it PII, but that's an interesting Why? point. His, his definition. But I mean, if if you get state secrets, that's a security breach rather than a traditional data. Well, breach. is it? It's a data breach. <laughs> right. Well, not from a have I been pwned point of view. Hmm. Anyway, well, it's a really good read. Trying to get a broad approach, right? Right. It's actually a very good read because the examples are of real incidents. And they're actually quite interesting. Um, so it, it's a fun, it's actually, no, it's actually a fun read. I'll just say it. It's a fun read, um, even if it isn't a potentially dry topic. And then also fun, even if it's a potentially dry topic, uh, Kara Swisher interviewed Francis, Francis Huygen, the uh, Facebook whistleblower. Oh. Needless to say, that is a fascinating conversation because neither of them hold back. Oh, going, going on a long drive. In a oh, couple yeah, of days. there you go. You're going to be disappointed. It's only, I think it's 34 minutes long. Ah, like that. Well. Something. Can <laughs> still, can still add it in. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Kara um, is always a good interviewer, and uh, Francis is a fantastic guest, so they, they have a really good conversation. Yeah, Francis Haugen was a very impressive speaker. She was a good witness. Oh, yeah, actually, that comes up, too, because apparently she was too good to be believable. She must have been coached. And she was like, no, I was fifth in this nation on the debate team. How dare you assume I don't have these skills? <laughs> you know, between the lines, you arrogant SOB. But, you know, right. Yeah. Plus, she was a woman. I mean, how could she have been that, she possibly, that uh, yeah. articulate? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's look, it's, it's, it's a no-holds-barred conversation because... Kara doesn't censor, and neither does Francis. It's 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 it's, it's good frank discussion. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. So I have two palate cleansers for you. Uh, the first one is just plain old fun. Uh, iPhone 13 Pro schematics wallpapers. If you would like your iPhone's home screen to look like the inside of your iPhone, install this wallpaper. Oh, that I'm looking at him. This is so cool. Where's my phone? They've got a real dark one, so... They have a dark uh, blue A15. one. Yeah, the, that's the one Bart picked. It is the one Bart picked. You're dead, right? Bart can't find his phone right now, so he can't show you, but it is the one Bart picked. Oh my gosh, these are fabulous. Yes. So there you go. There's, that, is, that is true palate cleansing, right? Okay, sorry. Keep talking. I'm just going to be doing... Picking one. You know, <laughs> downloading this while, while you talk. Neon blue? No, which one do I want? Blueprint. That's a good one. Blueprint oh. is very blue. I, I went with the more subtle blue, but yeah, they're both nice. Um, neon blue is what I went with. Uh, and the other, the other pick I have for you, you can either listen to or watch. Um, it's one of those strange things where the, the, the sodding pandemic has an unexpected good side. So Maynooth University and St. Patrick's College of Maynooth share a campus and the church in St. Patrick's College of Maynooth is amazing. It is, it is a work of architecture like it is Notre Dame Cathedral level of amazing and both Maynooth University and St. Patrick's College Maynooth have excellent choirs so Maynooth University have a great music department and the choir in St. Patrick's College is legendary and every Christmas they get together as a sign of unity between the two institutions that share the campuses and they hold a carol service in this amazing church and tickets are like hen's teeth right it's a very finite space, almost impossible to get tickets. So most of the time, it's a great big fight over tickets. But in COVID times, it's a very simple thing. Nobody gets tickets. 
There are no tickets. Oh. Basically, to socially distance the singers, they take up the whole church. So the entire church is filled with socially distant choir. So what do we do? Live stream it for free on YouTube. Oh, wow. So you can listen to the entire service. Now, the link in the show notes, I think, starts at about three minutes in because the stream started a little bit before the sound started. A little bit before the singing started, too, by the way. So it's, it's not a problem. Um, but the first few minutes of the stream are silence. It's a very pretty church, but you will fast forward a bit until you get to the point where something actually happens. Oh, so we don't have to see it at a specific time. It's not just live streamed. It was actually recorded. Exactly. So it was live streamed oh. the week before last, I think, and it is now just available to rewatch at your leisure. Oh, fantastic. So I'm uh, uh, not sure you said at the beginning that this is where you work. Yes. Sorry. Maynooth University is my, yes, it's where I, I, it's where I studied and that's now where I work. Yes. Um, I, I do have a minor, this is like, this is so nitpicky, but it's one of my little pet peeves at the moment is that there is no say, there's no N in Omicron. It's not Omnicron, it's Omicron. And when it gets to the um, when it gets to the to the sermon, the the um, president of St Patrick's College. I mean, it's a really nice sermon. It's very, uh, it, you know, it's it, it's very open hearted and Christmassy. But the entire thing is built around puns on the word omni. He's built the entire thing around a pun for a oh. word that he's pronouncing wrong. Oh no! <laughs> Still a good speech. His message is wonderful, very joyous. It's a very positive message, but it's entirely built on a pun that makes me go. It's not Aww. Omnicron. <laughs> <laughs> but that's to say, I'm nitpicking. The singing is obviously the important part. Um, you can fast forward whenever you see, you know, you see the priests. Um, oh, okay. The choir is amazing. The, the soloists are very impressive. That sounds that sounds lovely. Maybe I'll just put that on in the background when uh, the family's here. That you know, I actually uh, the, my last day of work, I just had it on. It, it's two hours, so I had it on twice: once in the morning, and once in the evening. And it was a really nice way to finish the year's work, just like oh, caroling really? in the background. You know? So anyway, so that's, that's all I got. That is that's possibly my favorite palate cleanser you've ever done. That's fantastic. I love it. Yay! And appropriately Christmassy. Um, I know I already wished everyone the very best for the season on yesterday's programming by Stealth, which is out, isn't it? It is out. It I is. So, I? Yes. Oh, we skipped over my... I, I, need, I need to give you a link for the show notes. So my bank impressed me massively, which is very unusual for my bank. They sent me an email with one of the most human-friendly anti-phishing and anti-cybercrime uh, warnings I have ever seen. Um, so I'm going to ask you to pop the full JPEG, which I sent you into the show notes so people can read it. But it's basically, it is just so human friendly. It sort of tells the story from the point of view of a user. You know, the user gets a, gets an email asking them for this and the user, you know, it, it, it's just really well done. Oh, it's this giant long PNG. It's the giant long PNG, which is a really difficult screenshot to take. Um, I had to download a yeah. whole new app just to take that screenshot. So you do have to zoom in to see each one of them, but it's got a bunch of descriptions here. Oh, so the the reason this this whole thing came up, though, was uh, on Programming by Stealth, we've been thinking, working on what theme to choose for the documentation for a project that we're all going to collectively work on. And there's a theme that I preferred over all the other ones, and Bart liked it, except for there was one problem with it. It was There was parts of it that were purple. Very and Bart really purple. didn't like this color of purple. And he finally figured out why. It's because it's the color of his bank, and as soon as he sees it, he, asso he associates it 
associates it with how difficult it was to get his mortgage through. <laughs> yeah, that was that was yeah, that was twenty twenty was a year of swearing at purple. So yeah, that all made sense to me. So now I feel better about purple because I understand why I hate it. <laughs> so now I'm fine with it again. But it really is AIB purple. It's a very distinctive branding, and they use it everywhere. Like they have these really old buildings, and they have giant big purple stripes on them. Oh. So you have this beautiful old building in central Dublin that's, you know, hundreds of years old of this giant big purple swatch because everything AIB is purple. They're, they are okay. the purple company. Well, good branding. They've gotten it into like a visceral reaction to the color itself now. I don't <laughs> think it's what their marketing team wanted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Anyway, so I, I will end by wishing everyone the most meaningful possible Christmas in these strange and unusual times. And I hope everyone manages to make the most of it, even if it isn't exactly what we'd asked for. <laughs> All right. So stay patched and stay secure and stay safe. Yes, yes. And yes, yes, yes. And now for a final palate cleanser for 2021, let's listen to Steve's annual tradition of reading The Night Before Christmas in his own special way. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a trackpad. Okay, work with me here. The AirPods were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that all things eye-maker soon would be there. The Nocilla castaways were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of iPads danced in their heads. And Podfeet in her kerchief and I in my cravat had just settled down for a long winter Skype chat. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the keyboard to see what was the matter. Away to the windows! I flew like a flash drive, tore open the shutters, and nearly did a nosedive. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of brushed aluminum to objects below. When what to my eyes seemed very bizarre, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny cars. With the little old driver with whom helves hobnob, I knew in a moment it must be Honda Bob. More rapid than 5G his vehicles they came, and he tweeted and shouted and called them by name. Now Accord, now Civic, now Fit and CRV, on Element, on Ridgeline, on Pilot and Odyssey, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now drive away, drive away, drive away all. As dry leaves that before the reality distortion field endowed, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the cloud, so up to the housetop the vehicles they flew, with the sleigh full of Apple products, and Honda Bob too. And then in a twinkling, I heard with a squeal the skidding and sliding of each little wheel. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney Bob came with a bound. He was dressed in coveralls from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with oil and soot. A bundle of SSDs he had flung in his Scotty vest, and he looked like a geek who was extremely obsessed. A wink of his eye and a look not too pious soon gave me to know he had an apple bias. He spoke not a word, but texted his concern, and he filled all the stockings and then hit return. And laying a finger aside his levitation app, a command to his iPad, up the chimney, ASAP. He sprang to his sleigh, and the autos did they bristle, and away they all flew as if shot from a missile. But I heard him exclaim as the poem prescribed, Happy Christmas to all! And please stay subscribed. 
Well, thank you for that, Steve. Uh, Honda Bob will never be forgotten because of you doing that every single year for us. Well, this is going to wind up this week and this year. Did you know you can email me anytime you like at allison at podfeed.com? And by the way, I'll probably be reading emails over the holidays. If you have a question or a suggestion, a dumb question would be really great or a review. Just send it on over. You can follow me on Twitter at Podfeet. And better yet, why don't you join our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack, where you can talk to me and all of the other lovely Nocilla castaways, including Bart. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can support the show like Charles did this week at podfeet.com slash Patreon. Or you can use a one-time donation by going to podfeet.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun on the live show, starting up again on January 2nd, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. <laughs>